Welcome to the My Chains Are Gone podcast, a place where people are sharing their stories of how God has brought them life and freedom through Jesus. David shares his story with us today. He tells of two experiences that radically shaped his faith in Jesus. As a 13-year-old, David physically was at the rock bottom, and he cried out to God for help. Jesus met him and brought him to a full recovery. And then, in his early 20s, David felt a different type of rock bottom. He wrestled with his faith and with his purpose and value in life. And Jesus met him in a different way, through the arms of teenagers in Mexico. David calls Jesus life-giving as he recognizes his daily existence is the result of the grace of Jesus. I hope you enjoy David's story. David, thank you so much for joining me on the My Chains Are Gone podcast and being willing to come and share your story. You know, people always ask you, so David, where are you from? And you're like, that seems like a weighted question. But tell us where you're from. Well, so like like you said, it's a really hard question to answer because I grew up in five different countries. Uh, my dad's a diplomat for Taiwan, so my passport says Taiwan, but... I was born in Spain, and I spent five years in Argentina, and around six, seven years in Nicaragua, and then in Taiwan as well, and I've been in the States for the past five years, so it's a hard question to answer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, did you grow up in a believing family? Um, so, my, so I actually didn't, in a, it was, it's, this is kind of a yes or no kind of answer, because uh, my mom got saved when I was around six years old. And so as a mama's boy, I went to church with her growing up. So I guess you could say yes, um, because I followed my mom to church every single Sunday. But my dad is still not a believer. So in a sense, there's this weird balance in my family of are we really like, are we a believing family or not mm-hmm. type of thing. But I, I normally say yes when people ask me that question. Okay. Was Jesus talked about in your home, either by your mom or did your mom and dad have disagreements about religion or did your dad just say, do whatever you want? My dad was kind of like a, you know, do whatever you want. I mean, if you go to church on Sunday mornings, I get I get the Sunday morning by myself and I can hang out. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, my mom definitely told me the Bible stories. I went to Sunday school since I was like six. And so we all knew the story in the Bible, like growing up, it was kind of something that my mom kept reinforcing us. Um, but yeah, definitely not at the level of what I have right now. Right. Um, and so do you remember um, a time in your life where where faith kind of started to intersect with your own life and your own heart? And so, I mean, this brings to like the bulk of, I guess, how I came to know Christ growing up. I definitely felt like my faith was my mom's faith because I just followed her everywhere. Um in the sense of I went to church every Sunday, but I, and I would tell my friends, I mean, as a seven-year-old, I, I believe in Jesus, I go to church. But it was never, I think, a genuine faith of really having Jesus in my life. Um, it wasn't until um, I had a brain surgery when I was 13 that I realized, oh, um, that's when I met Christ. Um, so there's some really weird circumstances that happened. Um, <clears throat> so when I was 13, I was living in Argentina, and at the time, I was going to church with my mom. And during a pastoral conference, uh, the pastor prayed for me and said to my mom, like, hey, I think there's something wrong with David. Like, you should take him to the doctor. And um, it came to a shock. We really didn't know what was going on. And I didn't know this at the time, but 
apparently when I was born, um, I had excess fluid in my brain. Um, so it's called hydrocephalus. And apparently I, I never had any symptoms growing up, like not even a minor headache. Uh, normally hospitals don't even double check this. Um, and you kind of find out when you get, you get seizures or you get headaches or you start having other abnormal like reactions and things like that. And I, I didn't even know I had this. I mean, I was doing fine in school. I never really exhibited any symptoms and my mom didn't really worry about it. Um, and so it really came to a shock when the pastor was like, hey, you should take him to the doctor because I think there's something wrong with your brain. And um, so it was kind of a crazy journey as a seventh grader. Um, got my MRI and I realized, um, so my entire left hemisphere was covered in fluid. Uh, I think the volume was two two by three inches wide. So think about like a small water, bo- uh, water balloon type thing. And so my entire left hemisphere was covered in, in fluid and went back home to Taiwan and the entire time I was wondering like, why is this happening to me? In a sense of like, I mean, I was doing fine. I didn't know what was going on. I kind of had this fake, fake faith of saying like, oh, I'll be fine because Jesus, like I'm saved. But I, I thinking about it now, I don't think I really understood it at the time when I was saying these statements. Um, we spent a lot of time in prayer. My mom um, spent a lot of prayer with me. Like we really prayed for a miracle. Um, and honestly, I, I thought I was going to be healed miraculously in a sense of like, I'll just wake up one day and it's all going to be gone and I can go back to live, living my life as a cool seventh grade kid that, you know, just liked, liked running around the field. Um, but things came and worse, worse things came and I ended up having a brain surgery. Um, what they did was they put a shunt in my body. So it's like a tube that drains fluid from my brain and kind of takes that excess fluid out. Um, but so where I was going out with your question is, um, I met Christ the night after my surgery. Um, <clears throat> I remember coming out of the surgery room and the pain and just the discomfort of the entire procedure caused me a lot of like, I had a 100 degree fever for like about three, four hours. I was throwing up every 10, 15 minutes and um, nothing the doctors did was helping. And my mom kind of just in the middle of this, I think it was like at 1 a.m. And she was like, you want to pray about this? Like, do you think, like, what do you think God is telling you to do right now? And I mean, in my mind, I was like, this is stupid. Like, he didn't even help me out when we prayed. Like, this entire time, I knew I had this stuff prior to surgery. Why would God help me right now? Um, But, you know, giving up, I was like, yeah, let's do this because I don't feel like I want to live anymore. I mean... I felt like in so much pain that I was like, let's just give this a shot. Um, And so I accepted Christ that night um, in a sense of I just wanted to be alive physically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like what were the when you say you accepted Christ, what do you mean by that? I think it's a moment of realizing like having that understanding of like, number one, it was the prayer that the pastor prayed for me that helped me realize, oh, I had this condition. Um, and then understanding the blessing that I had through the 13 years of my life of not having any symptoms, but also just recognizing that I wasn't a position of such weakness that there's nothing else for me to do apart from crying out to God. And that was like the moment where I was like, I really need God in my life because if not, I'm probably going to die. Right. (laughs) So it kind of sounds like if I could put a Bible story with it, the time where 
there was the beggar on the street calling out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me. Like, is is that kind of a similar... I mean, thinking about it now as a 23-year-old, yeah, sure. But, you know, I don't think that much was going on in my head when I was 13. All I was thinking back then is if praying to God and accepting Christ was the only way for this pain to go away, then I would gladly give my life to Christ. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So a physical pain then. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so continue with your story. Yeah. And so, I mean, after that prayer of salvation, quote unquote salvation, I guess, um, as a 13 year old, you know, how much do you know? Um, I think within 15 minutes, my fever went away and I Mm -hmm. fell asleep. And I mean, till this day as a 23 year old, it's been 10 years. And I still remember that as like the best sleep I've ever had. And I mean, the blessings, the blessings didn't stop. It was kind of crazy. Um, um, within two days, I, I left the, the bed and I started walking. And then within five days, I left the hospital. And the doctor was like astounded by the fact that, you know, there was this girl apparently that was living in the other hospital room right next to me that had the same surgery two weeks ago that was still in the hospital bed lying there. Mm. And so they were really astounded by, wow, like, how did you do that in five days? And so that was when I realized, like, yeah, that's, like, definitely Christ doing something for me and Mm. the blessings of actually accepting him and him making an impact in my life. Did that faith impact you beyond that through your teenage years? I I definitely say yes. I think that's, um, you know, like I was saying, I grew up going to church knowing the Bible stories. And, I mean, that story that you just mentioned, the beggar, like, I knew that story going into the surgery. Like, I could I could memorize verses. Like, I mean, just as a side note, my mom, when she used to ground me, she would make me copy and handwrite Bible verses as, like, a punishment. So I knew a lot about the Bible already as a kid. But, um, yeah, it definitely made a change in my life in a sense of I started re- recognizing that my faith placed priority over a lot of my uh, other different things. I did go to a Christian missionary school overseas, but... Even though I was being fed Bible knowledge, I didn't really see it as a priority. Um, but definitely after that surgery and understanding that I started participating in like ministries as a teenager and then going attending regularly at church and things like that. And so really saying, okay, I'm going to give my Sunday mornings to God and make a priority of actually getting to know him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you continued on in your you know teenage years kind of realizing, okay, um, God's real. God cares for me, like he intervened in my life and he loves me. I want to to not just have this knowledge, but actually know God. Continue your story with, you went to college in, in America, right? Yeah, so I mean... Was there a, what impact, what drew you to the college that you went to? Yeah, so um, I went to Cedarville University in Ohio. It's a, you know, pretty small Christian college, um... So what happened was my senior year, I was going, I was in a missionary school again in Nicaragua. And at the time, I didn't know where to go to go for college. And the lady that had actually left my, led my mom to Christ, um, both of her sons went to Cedarville. And so she recommended like, hey, like if you're looking for a Christian education, you should consider this. I mean, growing up in a really, I guess we really prioritize education. I didn't really think of going to a Christian university, I was really thinking about going to like a big public research university and things like that. But I mean, 
God closed every single door and Cedarville ended up being the only school I got accepted to by God's grace. And so I ended up coming to Ohio um, and started as an engineering major in, in Cedarville. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so what kind of experiences did you have at Cedarville that either impacted your faith in a growing way or impacted it in a negative way? That's like a really multifolded question. It sure um, is. <laughs> you can take it yeah. any way you want. <laughs> yeah. um, I think the biggest impact that Sirva has ever given to me, and I can even say this, like the biggest impact that anything, I guess, that God has given me in my entire Christian walk was um, a missions trip that I did in Cedarville, through Cedarville. Um, so every spring break, we went to Mexico, Puebla, Mexico, to do a, a camp ministry for local missionary kids and just school-age kids. So we ran a spiritual emphasis camp, and we became camp counselors and tried to, try to preach the gospel and teach, you know, the gospel and theology to, to kiddos that grew up in the same kind of upbringing that I had going to missionary schools and maybe having a head knowledge of Christ, but not really knowing that relationship of, uh, of Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess that was the biggest thing. And each year, God kind of taught me different things. Um, it's crazy. Um, like you said, I can go anywhere, but because every single year has been so different and God's work in our, in our life is so multifaceted in a way of every single day can be a story that we share in this podcast, right? So it's kind of hard for me to answer that question. But uh, like I was saying two minutes ago, I actually went to Cedar as an engineering major and in my first missions trip to Mexico, God opened my eyes that I actually picked the wrong major. Um, he opened my eyes to seeing that I only pursued engineering because God has blessed me with, you know, talent in doing mathematical work or, you know, maybe physics and chemistry. But ultimately that I pursued that major for monetary reasons and not for glorifying him. And through that week, I was so broken. Um, God kind of opened up a lot of sins that I was struggling with my life and pointed out that I had to pursue something else. Um, and so after I came back from Mexico, I was actually contemplating on giving my life to Christ in the sense of going into youth ministry. Um, but having a non-believing dad, that was kind of hard to convince in terms of him paying for my education and things like that. And so he said, you know, if you want to help kids and you want to help children in education maybe try like a psychology degree and so yeah I switched my major to psychology my freshman year um probably the biggest decision I ever made in my life um Mm -hmm. in terms of following Christ I guess besides Mm -hmm. accepting him um because I was kind of going and receiving that calling of hey you should be doing this Mm -hmm. yeah and then sophomore year I went again because I mean what an impactful trip and I remember this, um, one of my counseling professors told me, you know, use this trip and this opportunity and find out why God has placed this calling in your life through the trip again. And God really confirmed to me that psychology was the path that he wanted me to do because the entire time I was wondering, like, why this? Why this? Um, and God was like, because this is how I made you. Like Mm. you love people, you love helping, you love children. Um, You know, you, you got the sensitive empathetic heart that I've given you that I can use to bless so many people. And, and so God just kind of used my sophomore year to tell me like I made the right path. And so I felt a lot of peace um, Mm. 
my sophomore year. Yeah, that's yeah. really neat. I like, I love, I love the way you explain that and, and explain the heart that God gave you in that. I think that's really neat. We're going to kind of shift and, and you can go any way you want in this. Um, but being that this, this podcast is, is really sharing about how God has, um, worked in power in our lives and worked in mighty ways. Um, let's jump into that. Um, so can you share with, uh, tell a story or share, um, how you have felt God impact yourself as a young adult, um, help bring you through trials or bring you through, um, some things that you've experienced that have been really hard that you've met God in. Yeah. I mean, this is funny because I mean, every single question that you're gonna like that you're asking, I feel like my story kind of falls under every single category and my experience in Mexico kind of helps inform every single question in a sense. Um, Good. So, I mean, I think my biggest trial that I've ever, you know, experienced, and I think I'm, it's still ongoing right now is um, the aspect of finding a home and, you know, establishing a real loving connection with family, with friends and, and just trying to fit in. Like I've moved around so much my entire life. I never felt like I had a true connection or true community in my life that, really could impact me and grow me in the sense of in a Christ-like way. Um, that was really evident to me. Um, my sophomore, the end of my sophomore year, the summer, the summer of my sophomore year going to my junior year in college. Um, so I think, so my, my mom actually became pregnant, um, 20 years later, <laughs> um, the summer of my sophomore year. And <clears throat> there was a lot of, I guess different battles in my family that happened because my dad wasn't a believer and because of a giant age gap, you know, there were talks about abortion and trying to keep the, fa um, trying to keep the family together versus do we have, do we want to have this baby or not? And I still remember the day. I mean, as a Christian, I really stood up and said, like, abortion's not an option. Um, and I'm going to stand by my mom and I guess fight for the life of my baby brother. And it was really hard because, I mean, this never came to fruition, but there were talks of what if my parents got separated or, you know, if a divorce was in hand. I mean, this never was like materialized. I mean, I think a lot of these quote unquote conversations were happening in my head, but you think a lot when you're 20 years old. Um, mm -hmm. But what happened eventually was we, my mom and I, my pregnant mom and I and my other baby brother um, who was five at the time. We kind of left Nicaragua for the summer and go home to Taiwan. And that's when I was truly questioning, like, what is the point of serving God and really understanding, quote unquote, the relationship that I have with him, if none of the relationships that were important to me that were constant in my life, specifically my family, were actually working out. Like, my family was broken apart. Um, we were having constant fights all the time. Um, and... I didn't have a church community back home because of my own foolishness. I kind of rejected everyone in a way of that wanted to help that really understood that situation. And I isolated myself and it was just a time of isolation, I guess, that I didn't really see Christ. And I kind of actually, I actually walked away from my faith and ditched church and didn't go to church the entire summer um, out of denial. So um, that was a really dark time in my life. Um, Eventually, my mom was so pregnant, you know, abortion stopped being an option and 
she did end up having a baby. Um, but it was really funny because after that summer and fall Bible conference that Cedarville holds prior to every single school year, um, the the pastor that spoke was speaking about you know understanding God's strength and miss of weakness and in isolation and things like that. Um, a lot of what he talked about was in in the midst of grief and I guess death or loss in his life and how he relied on God to understand that. And in my head, I was like, God, you've got to be kidding me because this is exactly what I'm going through, even though I'm not going through loss. I mean, my mom did decide to keep the baby. But what really shocked me was um, every single Bible conference, we actually do a donation um, and... Cedarville just happened to decide that we were going to donate to a um, family base, I think, women's center that was um, fighting against abortion. And so it was just kind of a slap to the face of, I'm stronger, you're weak, you need to rely on me and not turn your back away from me. And here is a reminder that I am doing everything I can to stop you from using your own efforts to say no to ending your brother's life and actually making a difference in someone else's life. Um, mm. And so God really used that Bible conference to tell me, you know, like I am the controller of life. You know, I decide who goes and who, who stays and you just have to rely on me. And so, you know, the whole abortion talk in my family kind of ended. Um, and I felt really at peace at the moment, but I definitely felt like a lot of those family relationships were broken. Um, just, between, especially between me and my dad, um, and my siblings too, and my mom too, because there's just so many struggles and unheard, unheard hurt in a sense that we didn't really unspoken hurt. That's what I meant. And, and so a lot of that was lingering, um, paired with junior year, most of my friends that were in another program actually moved to an off campus location where they did their, their studies. So, I kind of instantly lost most of my closest friend groups. So that was a really isolating moment of my life. Um, mm -hmm. And trying to navigate, like, I was purposely isolating myself the previous summer, but now I feel like I'm being isolated out of my own control. Mm -hmm. And so even though I kind of turned my face and towards God and said, like, I need you, it was another slap in the face of like, okay, you showed me that you need me, but now I'm going to put you in a bigger trial um, in a way of actually acknowledging your own weakness. And so um, at the time, ministry was the only thing that was keeping me going in my faith. Um, I decided to go again to Mexico just because I felt like if nothing else was working, maybe if I go and experience another spiritual high, that can replace the emptiness in my heart and maybe build some new relationships that you know may last at least this time, um, so many relationships in my life have been ended or destroyed because of, you know, disagreements or just me moving around so much. And mm -hmm. so there's never been a constant in my life. Um, <clears throat> and so it was just kind of crazy in a sense of how isolated and lonely I was and the amount of anxiety that I felt. Um, um, I remember, I think of, this is, I mean, the lowest moment in my life, my junior year, it was two weeks before going to uh, Mexico. That that year, the trip preparations weren't going that great. I felt like the only thing holding my faith together, my life together, was was kind of that ministry work. And um, there were a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ that were helping me in that process. But 
it just didn't feel the same in the sense of, you know, a lot of my closest friends were not here there with me. And so um, I remember waking up one day, not wanting to go to class, not wanting to get out of bed and just had the thought of like, if I end up my life today, like no one would even care. Um, and I think I've never felt so low and so lonely and dark in my life. And since I've actually contemplated about taking my own life, um, obviously I never had any plants materialized and I knew that was a stupid option, but the loneliness I felt was real. Um, and I remember just having that anxiety in my life. I mean, throughout that time prior to the trip and I remember the night before leaving for Mexico, my friend, um, Wade came up to me and I actually confided him finally and saying like, I've been having these thoughts and I don't know what to do with my life. Mm -hmm. And he was shocked because I mean, me being me, I never told anyone and he thought everything was fine. Um, and he challenged me to see God in a different way and understanding like, yes, you're going to go do ministry, but put those thoughts aside and see how God's going to use you in a way of like, he is the life giving God and, you know, persevere in your faith. And he's like, and he just sent me, sent me off. He was like, we're not going to talk about this. You're just going to go. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I guess that's a weird way of, you know, trying to talk someone out of taking their own life. And so I went on the trip and ironically, just like Wade kind of reminded me the entire theme of the camp was persevering in faith and understanding the relationship that we have in Christ. Um, and the entire week as we listened to sermons, you know, worshiped, I felt like, I was in a new place in a sense, in a sense of I started to understand my own weakness and sin and conviction of how did I even contemplate that? And I really started to feel really inadequate as a counselor in a sense of I'm trying to teach kids, 16, 17 year olds to, you know, persevere in the faith, get to know God more. Meanwhile, I'm like, I can get out of here and just take my own life and not care about anything. And so it was a, another slap in the face. Um, and I remember this was two nights before the camp ended. We had a time that was dedicated for Bible studies at night before our cabins went to bed and we had to share and it was a testimony time. Um, my kids had known me. I had the same kids in my cabin for two years in the camp and they had known me. And so they knew my story with my surgery. I didn't know what to share. And I just felt God saying to me, like, just tell them what's going on. And the entire time I was telling them everything that I just told you, all I could say was, this sounds really dumb because what if me saying, oh, my faith was nothing to me, even right now, it still feels like nothing. What if they turn away from the faith and I actually lead other people astray? Um, but as, but as I was sharing my story and telling them like, never get to a point where I am right now and understand that, you know, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is life-giving, not just in a spiritual, but also in, in a physical way. Um, I urged them to persevere, even without me. And what they did was they actually came up one by one, all these 16-year-old teenage boys, I don't know why, um, came up and embraced me one by one. And I think that was like the most life-giving moment in my life in terms of understanding Christian community and, and fellowship. Um, because in the in the loneliest and darkest moments in my spiritual walk with Christ, I was not met with more rejection, but with an embrace of understanding that, you know, like you're doing everything you can and this is what Christian community is for. Mm. Um, 
and I can gladly say like I'm still I still feel anxious sometimes, but it's the the thought of not wanting to get up the next day has never has never happened again, um, ever again because I know what perseverance in the faith means now, um, and it, it's just been crazy um, the entire week. I just felt like God kind of transformed my view and of life and place this new focus of you know try to reconcile relationships and rebuild those relationships that you have um that are broken yeah yeah i think it's quite amazing that you were teaching on perseverance you just said this you're teaching and trying to tell these guys but not feeling it in yourself and god like enacted that in you to enable you to like literally experience the pain that goes along with perseverance. Like that's, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that, David. Um, and so, so then you said that working on this reconciling of relationships and, and I guess not submitting yourself to isolation again, is that kind of then what the next step was for you? I mean, I think um, I'm still going in that process. I mean, mm-hmm. I wish I wish every single testimony that we we hear or that we you know kind of hear in churches or that we share is a lovey dovey, happily ever after with God with Jesus. And but I, my entire life, I just especially those two experiences with my surgery, and my family problems, and just my own darkness, like just made me realize how much of a Christian walk is an ongoing process of understanding your own insufficiency and relying on the sufficiency of God, I can say that um, even till this day, having moved to Missouri for grad school now, I mean, getting into Carter's church and trying to fit into a new community has been still a challenge for me. Um, definitely when people ask me where I'm from or where you think home is, I still don't have a really solid answer. Um, and but I think I'm trying to break those, break down those barriers of understanding what Christian community is. And at least even when I feel like I don't want to be with people or that I want to isolate myself, I know where to find the motivation to actually push out of that and say, no, I need grace tonight. Mm-hmm. I need forgiveness. I need conviction. I mm-hmm. need the word. Um, and I need community. And, and if, you know, my parents are across the, the Pacific Ocean, they can't get me family time. So what do you do? Um, you, you find community in Christ. And, and so that's literally what I've been trying to do this entire year, school year, just yeah. trying to find a new, new home. Yeah. Why are you glad you follow Jesus now? I mean, if I could sum up my, my entire spiritual walk and why I follow Christ, it's, it's because Christ is life-giving. Um, and I feel like the reason why I follow Christ right now is, I mean, despite all the theology, all the Bible classes I took in Seerville and all the stuff I learned in sermons and in reading and all that, like, despite all that head knowledge, like, it always go down goes down to that moment where I was contemplating about taking my own life or physically about to lose my life because of a surgery. And understanding that Christ was there to sustain me and give me a physical life. And that that power actually extends to a spiritual realm. And that can actually sustain me throughout my entire walk with him. And so, yeah, I'm I'm really happy I, I met Christ. Because if not for my Christian faith, I, I probably wouldn't be here sitting, sitting right here and talking to you and sharing my story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
Well, David, thank you so much for sharing your story, the hard parts, um, and letting us see God working through you and in you. No, thank you. Each week, as I listen to these stories of how Jesus rescues his people, I am reminded by the value of community and the love Jesus pours out through his followers. No community is perfect as it is full of broken sinners, but somehow, in God's divine wisdom, he has made us to thrive in our faith through the vehicle of the local church and running alongside other believers. We have to fight for it. We have to give grace to one another. We get to be the hands and feet that love, but we also get to receive those hands and feet of love. As David is fighting to have community in his new home, I pray that we all are encouraged to do likewise. If you like this podcast, the easiest way to follow and not miss an episode is to subscribe. Listen to an encouraging story each week. Thank you for listening. Be encouraged and tell your story too.